class a week, but then I had I said I said to somebody, I'm sorry, I went so long, you know, and so I went, oh, I hate it when you do that. Not when I went long, but I hate it when you <laughs> apologize for going long. And so anyway, uh, so that means I can go even longer. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I even thought as I was looking at this, John chapter 3 is where we're at. I even thought as we, as we looked at this this week, that I thought, well, I owe him a short message. Um, but uh, <laughs> some of you are like, great. Um, but anyway, we want to look at this. This is just a wonderful passage. We are back in John. We took time during Advent and looked at uh, passages in the book of Isaiah. And uh, so now we're back in John. I want to start at verse 16, although we have looked at verse 16 already. And we looked at 17 and 18, but I'm getting the running start and also a little bit of refreshing your memory. But of course, who doesn't know John 3.16? But nonetheless, we're going we're gonna to look this and we're going to go all the way to verse 21. At least that's the plan this morning. Reading out of the New American Standard uh, 2020 edition, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning and that you would fill us with your spirit that we might receive from you that we have for each of us. So, Lord, we pray that you would minister to our hearts and give us, again, ears to hear what the spirit might say to each of us this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Just to back up into verse 16, although we, we like I said, we covered it uh, back in uh, early to mid-November. And among other things, uh, it is really a statement of, of fact involving the agency or the action of God the Son uh, as he brings salvation to the world. Uh, that God loved the world in such this way that he gave uh, his one unique son, which might really be a better way to translate it, or even his one unique one. Uh, the word son is, is it's, it's more interpretive than it really is a, a maybe a complete translation uh, from the Greek word monogenes, uh, but it does imply being generated from. But, but nonetheless, uh, it really refers to Jesus, who is 100% man and 100% God. And how do, can you be 100% man and 100% God? I imagine I'm going to get around to asking that question when I'm in heaven. I don't think it's the first thing I want to know. Um, I don't think I'm going to have anything to say. 
when I'm in heaven at first. When I see him face to face, when I see him as he is, when I, when I stand before the throne of God and I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I think I'm just going to sit in silence. If you see me, and you will, and I'll see you, don't talk to me for, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, it's, it just, I, I will be so amazed because God is the holy other, H-O-L-E-L-L-Y, I believe L-L-Y, the holy other, the one who's completely different than we are, and yet he creates us in his image. And he loves the world in such a way that he sends his one unique one, his only son. And if we believe in him, trust in him, we will not perish but have eternal life. How Jesus brought salvation to the world. More importantly, for all of you, how Jesus brought salvation to each and every one of you. Because the, these, these verbs that in, in the Greek that are, that are used, like the word love, God so loved that he gave. Um, uh, it, in, in the structure of the Greek language, they are expressions of the self-giving nature of God, having sent his only son on this, this mission to save the world, the fact that God is a self-giving God. Now, some people are very, very giving people. I've actually met people that giving is almost like an addiction, um, which was strange but true. Some people are very giving. Some people are not. We have different names for those people too, don't we? But we won't, I won't go there this morning. But the fact is that, that God creates us. He's God, so if we made him really mad, he could, he could just snuff us out with just a thought if he wanted to, right? I mean, he could. But his nature is that of which he continues to give. He continues to be faithful. The Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. The hesed of God, the faithful, is translated loving kindness often in the Old Testament. His faithfulness to us. And he gives of himself. He gives of the Trinity. And he gives his son so that if we simply believe in him, if we simply trust in his finished work of which he accomplished on the cross, we will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was the agency of that incredible self-giving nature of God. Because when you think of the self-giving nature of God, and, and a God who really... I don't know how to express this. Maybe I'm going to start my silence early. I don't know. I'm kidding. But, but um, a God that gives beyond our capacity to understand, a God whom we cannot outgive. And when I think about those attributes of God, I think of Jesus. Now, does God give to you? 
I mean, just sit with that for a while. Does God give to you? Is God generous to you? I would suggest that he is, but I also would tell you that that's something that you need to come to terms with on your own. I can tell you about what a great and loving and giving and wonderful God he is, but if you have not experienced those yourself or if you have not recognized his incredible gift, his incredible generosity, that's something that we have to experience on our own. Jesus, again, verse 16, he is the agency of the self-giving nature of God. That, and I'm going I'm to slow down once I get to 18, 19 through 21. But anyway, verse 7, it, it, it expands really on God's purposes in sending his son. He did not send his son into the world to judge the world, that the world might be saved through him. I think too many people have the wrong image of who God is. That God is this great cosmic killjoy sitting on this throne just waiting to zap you if you're having too much fun. Or that, that he's really angry. Or he's as grumpy as you are, right? I mean, uh, we, we don't understand, I think, the incredible sense of love and graciousness and perseverance that God has toward each one of us. I mean, he, he's put up with me for 40 years. Well, 60, anyway. He's put up with me for a long time. And as I think about that, it's like, wow, God, you really have put up with a lot. But then I start thinking about some of you, right? And, and how much he... he Never mind. Okay, how much he tolerates the steadfast love of the old chorus song that we used to sing, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Instead of seeing him as this judge that's going to hit you over the head with a hammer, he's coming to the world that the world might be saved. It was his hope. I love the word that was given for even the whole process of the suffering of Jesus Christ. It was his passion. It was his passion. And what an incredible way to demonstrate. Romans 3 is really clear on this, especially verses 21 through around 25. What an incredible way for God to retain his, 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 his character, for God to retain um, his holiness in not being able to stand in the face of sin, and yet at the same time also to retain his incredible love and charity toward us by demonstrating his love for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He retains his holiness and expresses his love. He forgives the sinner 
because the penalty was paid by Jesus. And it talks about how God the Father set forth God the Son as a, I'll use a, a, um, a church word, propitiation, or the covering. Or it's actually literally translated from the Old Testament, the mercy seat of God. God's place of mercy, which was actually the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know why I'm going here, but I think this is great stuff for us to really give some great thought to. He comes into the world so that the world might be saved. And then thirdly, verse 18 and following, you have this this reality statement of the present nature of judgment, a reality statement of the present nature of judgment. Verse 18 tells us, the one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The word uh, judged in the New King James is actually the word condemned. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. I'll go with the word condemned. Uh, And those first two usages of the word condemned in verse 18, you know I like to play around and look at the grammar. Um, They're verbs. Verbs are what? They're action words. I'm glad someone didn't say people, places, or thing. That would be a noun. But anyway, they're action words. In other words, they describe the actions of God or the actions of people. And they describe, our actions actually describe and represent and give an illustration to who we are as people. They describe our hearts. Jesus tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, even. And those first two words condemn in verse 18, they're, they're, they're verbs, and they're in the present tense in the Greek. Now, tense is a little different in the Greek than it is in the English. And it is talking about an action that is in the process of, of happening an action that is currently happening, but there's no sense of its completion. It's continuous, if you will. But it's also, interestingly enough, it's in a passive voice. Which is fascinating to me. Because the passive voice in the Greek does not mean it's something that you cause to happen to yourself. It's something that happens to you. You understand the difference? An outside source, you could say, does it to you. So, the one who does not believe receives condemnation. Because he does not believe he is condemned already. Which is fascinating to me because it is describing people who are in a current state of condemnation. They're in a current state of condemnation. 
because they have not believed. Third time used in this particular verse, it's in a perfect tense verb. It means an action that happened. Remember perfect tense? We talked about this early in the Gospel of John in the first chapter. An action that happened in the past, but it has produced a state of being that is present today. Good example. You guys who are married, you got married in the past, right? You had a wedding ceremony, some way, shape, or form. And from that day forward, you are now considered a married man. Does that make sense? That would be a perfect tense in the Greek. Someone who has not believed, and therefore they continue in unbelief, and therefore because of their unbelief, they unwittingly enter into a state of condemnation. They don't necessarily plan for it. I, I, I've had so many people tell me the funny, well, not funny, sometimes the very sad things about what they're going to do when they get in front of God. And the different things that it, it was... It, was as if they watched too much let's make a deal on television and and they felt like they were going to be able to maneuver one guy he was even bold enough um, he said to me one time if god isn't big enough to accept me now i know you guys don't like it when i swear in sermons so i won't say hell um But he said, if God isn't big enough to accept me, then with God. And I when I heard that, I thought, oh, my goodness, I have on rubber soles and I have on. We were work construction worker at the time. I have on a hard hat, but I'm going to get away from this guy because lightning is about to fall. I just thought, wow, to have that sense of resistance to the God that loves you so much. His unbelief that took place back then. This is the guy who grew up in church, by the way. His unbelief that happened somewhere back then in a continued state of unbelief, and he did not care that he was living in a, in a state of condemnation. What do you do with people like that? Because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God or the nature of the only Son of God. That's what it means. The name, the characteristics, the name that is, when we think of God, what do you think of? And you see, that was part of his problem, obviously, was he had a bad view of who God is, an incorrect view of who God is. And as I've talked with people, it seems that, that often they, will, they, they view God as some kind of a weird, self-exalted form of themselves. 
Now, does that make any sense? Do you really want God to be like you? Or do you? I'm glad God's not like me. Man, I'd lose my temper and that would be it. I would drop, kick the earth and the entire solar system somewhere. You guys are no different. And then you finally come to your senses because the Holy Spirit begins to convict you, right? And you're, you're like, well, I'm just so glad God's not like me. He had a wrong view of God. He did not believe in the name. He did not believe in the nature. He did not believe in the characteristics. He did not want to believe when the scriptures tell us that God is good. So we entered into a state of unbelief which pushed him into a state of being under condemnation. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness rather than light. So we're going back to this contrast that we had in the very beginning of of the Gospel of John and what's called the prologue, really verses 4 through 8 of chapter 1. And and he's expanding on this idea of the contrast between light and darkness. Remember what I was talking about, about um, the contrast on Wednesday night and how Ecclesiastes doesn't really address the contrast so much in Ecclesiastes, it's talking about how, uh, how things are not always clear, cut, and dried. Well, here it's the opposite of that. He's giving us a contrast between light and dark. It's, it, it's a, darkness. It's a matter of who we are and what is our status and how we stand before God, which is based on a belief or a lack of belief, or an unwillingness to believe. So, it tells us here in verse 19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, for everyone who practices evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds shall be exposed. Have you ever wondered why it is that people don't want their deeds to be exposed? Deeds that they do, things that they do, things that they've given themselves over. I mean, if, 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 if you live like a party animal and your whole focus on life is sex, drugs, and rock and roll, let's say, most people, at least when you start to talk to them, they, they're, they're almost proud of that lifestyle. And so when you would talk to them, they they would want to give the impression that in all of the sinful things that they do, they're the bigger, better, and best of it. 
and very proud of that fact. I saw a lot of that on construction sites. I saw a lot of that in the military. But what I think this is talking about, particularly in verse 20, is that inner person, our conscience. We all have one. That inner person, that place of our soul, that place of our spirit, that actually does hear the voice of God and actually does know better. That's why Romans tells us in Romans chapter 1 that, that, that even that all of creation speaks of God's handiwork. It speaks of God's presence. It speaks of God's love. It testifies of who God is. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiwork, Psalm chapter 19. But I think there is that place in, in, that, that in, in our innermost being that we do hear the Spirit of God. And I'm talking about everybody, not just Christians. The difference is the non-Christian hears and refuses to believe or decides they don't want to believe just yet. It, it, like it was it, Augustine. Augustine, is a, he's a fascinating, was a fascinating figure in the church. He writes this book called Confessions. It's a one long continuous prayer. I recommend you guys all read it. But he even talks about his life before Christ. And he even talks about his life that even after he began to understand the things of the, uh, of the Bible, the things of the gospel, but he had not yet converted and become a Christian, he were, he, and, and he, he lived a very um, uh, promiscuous lifestyle. And in the book, he even writes that, Lord, give me, give me chastity, but not yet. Right, you know, get, Lord, get, give me the ability to not sin in the in this way. Can you wait a little while? I thought that, you talk about honesty. But too many people continue to prolong the not yet. Where in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and in chapter 4, it very clearly says, today is the accepting time. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as Israel did in the day of provocation when they refused to go into the promised land. Don't be like God's chosen people, by the way, who harden their heart. But while it is still day, while you still hear his voice, repent and believe. Or I should say, believe and repent.
we don't want our light or the light to expose our evil deeds because deep down we are ashamed of them and i think that's i think that's a universal thing with everybody Now, you can continue to harden your heart, continue to harden your heart, continue to harden your heart, and eventually you become very calloused where you don't sense the conviction or the guilt of maybe certain things in your life that God is saying, I want you to stop doing. You don't want to come to the light because the light will expose. And I think part of that, too, is that we understand that we are responsible for the decisions that we make. I think everybody understands that. And I think it's very clear in this, in the, in this passage, uh, particularly in verses 18 through 21, that what we do really is an indicator of who we are. Which is a very hard thing to to deal with. It's, I think it's really easy for me to say that to you on a Sunday morning. It's very difficult for me to talk to someone who who wants to be comforted because, let's say, their child has has completely gone off the reservation uh, and, and has given themselves completely into sin and are now living a lifestyle that that is completely unacceptable to the parent, or a spouse has done that, or, or um, that type of thing. Um, and, and there are the, all the sayings like, well, you love the sinner, but you hate the sin. And, and I agree with that. And, and you know, I, working with a, with a woman who, their son has decided he doesn't want to be a man anymore. Um, that's difficult stuff. Uh, it, it, it's hard for me to even understand what in the world that why someone would want to do that. But to love, I'll call him what he is, to love that man, and yet at the same time, to have some type of boundary. To have some type of boundaries. And it's a very, very hard place to walk. But the reality is when we make these type of decisions in our lives, they really are markers of who we are as people. And yet at the same time, follow my thought on this. While certain people turn to things that, quite frankly, are grievous and, in my mind, kind of heinous, what this is telling us here is they don't want to come to the light because their deeds are evil. And deep down in their very heart of hearts, they understand that. Now, try to confront them on that. Good luck. Good luck. But I think that's what this part of this passage is telling us. 
so pastorally? How do we deal with this? I would say that you continue to love them with every ounce of love that you possibly can have for them. And hope and struggle in prayer that God changes their hearts and that God does the work in their life and entrust them to God and give them over to God and and be that intercessor that they need in their life or someone loves them enough that continually brings them up before the throne and mentions them to God in prayer for them. Again, boundaries, I think, are important. But they cannot be so rigidly applied that they can be used as an excuse. As false as it may be. Follow me on this? All right? This is tough stuff to deal with. Boundaries that are applied, and yet they cannot become an excuse, even though that is a false excuse for the reason why we don't love them. Because if we talk about this incredible love that God has in verse 16 and in verse 17 and even going into verse 18, we as people of light, we as people who have believed are the ambassadors for Christ and we are called to be the love of God to them. And love does not mean, though, that I accept everything that you do. And everything's okay. One of my, one of the favorite passages that my pastor growing up, Mary and I grew up in the same church. He used to say it all the time, all the time, let God be true and every man a liar. And hold fast to those things that are true. Hold fast to those things that are true. And yet at the same time, God so loved the church. Didn't say that, did it? God so loved the world. God so loved the world. These are hard days. And this couple that I'm talking about, what an incredibly horrible and difficult thing for them to navigate. Because this the son of theirs, whom they love dearly, is contradicting everything that they believe in the scriptures. And there are no easy answers. And there isn't a playbook other than maybe what God has given us here. I think in the book of Luke where they bring this woman to Jesus, she's been caught in adultery. Now, she's been caught in adultery. Now, that, that, 
Okay, that's not even good math. All right, you understand what I'm saying. Where's the guy? They said, Master, Rabbi, our law says we should stone her. Who's the author of the law? They were talking to him. Let's not forget that. They're talking to Yahweh in the flesh, the author of, the, of Torah. Our law says we should stone her. What say you? He put it on. I love the way Jesus handled these people. He put it on their backs. Well, those of you without sin, go and cast the first stone. Go for it. I'm going to bend down and write in the ground for a while. I have no idea what he wrote. I don't want to even speculate. Look, one by one, what do they do? You know the story. They leave. He finally stands up and says, women, where are your accusers? They're, they're not, none of, they're, they've gone. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. You see, the go and sin no more had to be given to a woman who was finally in a place that where she was ready to believe. She was ready to change her life. It, it doesn't say that in the scripture, but that, that's what I'm reading into it. If the Son has set you free, we sang it this morning, you are free indeed. And if you want the forgiveness of Christ, he is there to give it to you. And he sends you away free, forgiven, cleansed, and just told, go and sin no more. In verse 20, it tells us, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That fascinates me. Because that word come is a very, it's a different verb text or tense or voice in, in the Greek. It can be either middle voice. Middle voice is the person is being affected by their own action. So they will not come. The person decides they will not come. Or it can be passive voice where something else is affecting the action or the person who is being spoken of. An action is affecting them. In other words, they will not come because they choose not to come or they will not come because of their, I believe, because of their previous choices not to come. Now they cannot come. So that, that scares me. That concerns me. That's like asking, how close can I, you know I'm afraid of heights, right? That's like asking, how close can I get to the edge of the cliff without falling off? Because, again, going back to Hebrews, now is the accepting time. 
this idea of being exposed, it refers to this idea of, of, it really refers to being exposed because you have done something wrong. That's what it's referring to. That's what the, the word actually means, uh, that, that, that you have been found out. And people don't want to be confronted, do they? Of course they don't. People don't want to be confronted. Tells us too in verse 19 that they love darkness. Now that is a word that really the way it's the structure, I've given you enough grammar for the day, right? Okay, but that tells us in the, in the Greek structure of the grammar that it is a conscious decision that they have made. Because they denied a still small voice that I believe every person has the capacity to hear that conscience again. That when we're doing something that is contrary to the, to the word of God, contrary to, that, uh, to pleasing God in our life, we do hear that still small voice of conviction. But what do you do with it? What do you do with it? I think that's the, the, the important question to ask. What do we do? Christian. Let's not worry about it. I'm not, not Christians aren't here, right? The only thing I can tell you about them is maybe hopefully give you uh, a biblical understanding of, of how to, to engage with them in a, in a loving manner. But they're denying the still small voice all the time. I'm convinced. But how often do we deny it? Does God speak to you? I hope he does. I'm not talking audibly. I remember I mentioned this before and someone says, well, I've never heard God speak. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about that, 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 that place in the depth of your very soul where, where, where the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit, your conscience. If I have to, let's go to the cartoon illustration. You're, what is it? Uh, was it uh, Tom and Jerry? You know, you guys remember Tom and Jerry? Some, okay, maybe you guys are too young. Anyway, you have the, the, the devil on one side and you have the angel on the one side and, and on the other side and, and they're both speaking into the, to the person and, and telling them to do it this way. No, do it that way. What voice do you listen to? And when you hear it, what do you do about it? Do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation. But in understanding of today is the accepting time. Today is the day of salvation. And I'm talking to Christians here again. Where God is calling us to maybe set things aside. And I think part of it, he calls us to set certain things aside so that we might be further equipped to be able to love the world in the same way that God loves the world. 